Good morning. That's hot. All right. First, let me uh, say uh, it's an honor to be in front of you this morning. Uh, when Claire reached out to me and asked me to do this, I'm always very humbled when people ask me to do this. I am, uh, especially coming in front of a, it takes a great deal of trust, right? Because I could come up here and say any crazy things to you. She wouldn't know. <laughs> she had until until afterwards or, or until you guys threw me out so uh, I am very honored to be here in front of you this morning who am I I'm Darren story uh, I am uh, going through the Commission ruling elder program I elder at South Broadland Presbyterian Church I've been going there since 2014 years uh, my kids have all well my youngest kids have grown up in, in that church um, as we are going through some changes, as most churches are trying to figure out what God wants us to do and how he wants us to do it, how do we get more people in to hear the gospel, how do we change the narrative about being a Christian from being judgy, judgy, judgy to being a people who love us, who we love them, we want to love you wherever you are in your life. And I think that's why this Unraveled series is so important because we've all been unraveled, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, so I was very actually excited about talking about being unraveled because I've got some unraveled stories to share of my unraveling. I, wasn't, I didn't always look this good as I look right now. <laughs> um, a couple other things about me, I just turned 54 on Thursday. I had a birthday. Thank you, thank you. I'm very excited about that. Uh, it's better than the alternative, so I'm very excited about that. I have six children, as uh, you all know. I, I am on the radio, right now, I'm actually on the radio right now. You could listen, if you were listening to the radio, I'd be on the radio right now, it's, it's magic. Uh, so I record the show on Saturdays and it plays on Sunday, so that's how I do it. It's a gospel music show on 107.3, six to noon, called Magic Inspirations. If you ever want to turn it on, please do. Um, so, and I have lots of jobs that I do uh, and to make sure that my wife, Krista, can stay home and take care of our kids. So yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoy working. I will never stop working. I don't know what retirement is. So um, I come from a family of 12. I'm the baby boy, young baby boy out of a family of 12. I also come from a blended family too. So, and I have a blended family. I've been married 32 years, but not to the same woman. Uh, you know, so I was married 14 years the first time, been married this time 17 years, don't plan on changing that, we're going to keep that moving uh, going forward. So, uh, and she is the love of my life and, and really, if it wasn't for her, she's really made me into the best version of myself. And so I, I, I love you very much. So um, let's get into this. This, uh, I call this sermon the young and the restless. When I was growing up, my mother watched the soaps, or she used to call them the stories. And I can almost remember the, 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 the lineup. It started with the love of a life, and I think it was a search for tomorrow, and then the young and the restless, all my kids, as my stomach turns, and the guiding, <laughs> and the guiding light, right? And, um, but the Young and the Restless was the one that I really connected to because 
that's when I began to understand what these things were. It started in 1973, I was eight years old. And it was about these two families, the people that had stuff and the people that didn't have stuff. They were on two different sides of the track and then of course, the, the idea is, is that two, pe two people get together and they're mixed up and it's like, you're, you're not good enough for my daughter and it was Snapper and, and Chris, the Brooks and the Fosters and, and it was just a mess. And so when Claire asked me to, about this unraveling thing, one of the first things that came up to me was, to me, the original soap opera, David and Bathsheba. So I'm going to read from 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Now, all of this is not in your bulletin, but I'm reading the whole chapter. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone out there to find, to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all the master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to, go to my house and eat, drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will, do, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that, that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat amongst his master's servants and did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front of the fighting where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at, the, at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. And he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, 
son of Jerubbesheth. Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Bebez? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers start. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the, most, from, from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told, told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The swords devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Then Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead. She mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became the wife and bore him a son. But this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, my God. David, a man after God's own heart, loved the Lord. His love for the Lord could not, is above reproach. The 23rd Psalm, if you don't know any other verse in the Bible, who doesn't know the 23rd Psalm? Unbelievers know the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So I told you about the soap operas, right? And, and my mother watched these soap operas. The cast of the soap operas, you probably know them. Put the slide up here, you probably see, see these people. Who watched The Young and the Restless? You can tell the truth. <laughs> Look at them. Victor, Nikki, Mrs. Chancellor, Jack Abbott, Paul. We know and love them. We love to watch their lives unravel. <laughs> Every day, Monday through Friday. And we watch these people do this, and we, it gives us entertainment. But think about what just happened in Samuel. David saw something that he wanted. Because, you know, Victor Newman, he likes to wield his power, right? Jack Abbott likes to wield his power. David wielded his power at that time. He was king. He's the only person in that town that if he saw Bathsheba, anybody else saw Bathsheba, Bathsheba would have said, uh, no, thank you. But it's David. That one decision that he made created a domino effect for the rest of his life. The son, remember, grew up and tried to kill him. The son, out of that adulterous relationship, ended up trying to kill him. He hated his father. He wanted to be king. And we celebrate unravelness, right? In the next slide, you got a marketing slide. You know, you see weekday CBS, watch Young and the Wrestlers. Watch the Young and the Stupid. Let us watch everybody unravel. We get excited about it. We advertise it. 
When I was younger, I was in a band, still in the band, but I, it's all I did, low-key. Was, it was a big deal, kind of a big deal. Anybody ever seen the Arsenio Hall show? Soul Train, you ever seen those shows? I, my band was on those shows. I performed on those shows. Um, it was all I ever wanted to do. When I was 14 years old, the first time I got on the stage and did music, it was all I ever, I knew, this is it. God, this is what I, you made me to do this. And I chased that dream. And that dream came true. So what I will tell you is, if you have a dream, chase it. But understand that there can be consequences for the chasing of the dream. I was young. I was 25 with two kids and a wife, two young kids. And all of a sudden, I get a call and saying, hey, you got a record deal. And all of a sudden, I'm, I fly off to Minnesota to do a record to do an album, everything I ever wanted to do. Not only was I doing a record, but I was doing a record with some guys that I admired, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Now, let me give you some context. You may not know the names, but you've heard of Janet Jackson, right? Right? You've, if you're my age, you grew up listening to Janet Jackson probably, and, and these were the guys that made her famous. And we're working with them. This is happening. That decision created a series of events that almost wrecked me. Now, we were successful as a band, but my life was tragic. I was never home. My wife, at the time, was not really feeling me to the point to where she got into a full-blown affair. I had my own indiscretions that I was dealing with because I'm on the road, I'm a rock star. So it's cool to do that, right? Because that's what, that's what rock stars do. I never saw my kids. And eventually, the fame and the little bit of fortune that I was experiencing left me empty. Just like David's soap opera, I was in the middle of a soap opera, making one bad decision after another so I could have what I wanted. And then justifying it that God's making my dream come true, right? Because God knew what I wanted. I prayed for this, right? And when we pray to God, we expect him to answer our prayers because we think God is Santa Claus. I believe that God allows certain things to just happen. My life was unraveled. And I remember being in, sitting in the middle of my living room in my apartment after someone had broke into my apartment and stole everything that I had except my trumpet, which was weird, <laughs> but a blessing. I was drinking a, 
I think I ran through a big bottle of Bacardi rum. And I was not, I was obviously inebriated. God spoke to me. He said, you need to make a phone call. So I called my pastor in Detroit, which is where I was when I got my record deal. I called my pastor in Detroit, and I told him what had happened. What had happened over the last, because this, this is like a th three-year stretch of unraveling. See, all this, three years, my life. It would be way worse than this. <laughs> and I told my pastor what had happened in my life. He's like, what's been going on? And I go through it, and about an hour later, all he could say is, wow. And then he asked me, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm sitting in the middle of my living room, uh, drunk talking to you with no furniture, no nothing. I have nothing. He said, can you come here to Detroit? Sure. I got nothing else. My kids are gone. My wife's gone. I got nothing. I went to Detroit, and I stayed at his mother's house. Miss Alexander, God rest her soul. She turned the heat off at night in the wintertime. <laughs> I slept in the basement, the coldest room in the house. When you're sleeping in the basement, in the coldest room in the house, and it's just you, you got a lot of time to reflect. And that's when God and I reconnected. And then God also challenged me about my life, and he told me, you got to get out of this business. You're not ready. You, you can't handle this. So I left my music behind to save my family. But then God said, no, I don't want that to be the reason that you get out of the business. I need to connect with you, reconnect with you. Your family, that's great. I think that's noble that you want to do that. But God was like, I need you and me to reconnect. See, when David was out there doing his craziness, God was patient. He said at the end, he said, God was not pleased with all of David's actions, right? Everything that he did, the deceit. He, he had a guy murdered to cover up his mess. He tried to orchestrate a way where Uriah would have thought that baby would have been his. You see this tangled web, this unraveling that's happening our, as human beings, that's what we, that's our sin nature. That's what we do. When we get in trouble, we want to hide it. And then the unraveling begins. See, God said to me, you, I need you to stop trying to hide your mess. We're going to deal with this. And by the way, you may not get your family back. Are you still going to love me? Are you still going to follow me if I don't give you what you want? How many people struggle with that relationship with God? Okay, God, yeah, I want to follow you, but I really need you to give me this. No, this, I really need you to give me what I want. And then me and you will be good. But sometimes God is saying, no, I'm not going to give you what you want. I need you to trust me. 
I need you to trust me. Because when it's all said and done, when you come before me, your wife and your kids are not going to be next to you. It's just going to be you and me. Nobody's going to be there to witness for you. You're going to be judged by your actions, by your deeds, by your love. So I remember being in those cold, that cold basement and experienced something that I had never experienced before, and that was joy. How many people have experienced joy? You know, you know joy is not happiness, Al. Joy is like when everything around you is jacked up, and yet there's a peace that God gives you that's far more wonderful than my mind could ever understand. I was like, God, okay. You may not restore my life as I know it, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to, I have this joy, even though my life is still unraveling. It's, my life is a soap opera. I am the young and the restless. I'm doing it in real time. Yet will I trust you. The other problem, folks, in our world, if you go to another slide, a couple more slides, we rebel in other people's, other people's unraveling. We, we buy these magazines. It's over. Ooh. Megan kicked out of the palace. Really? People buy these magazines as we want to be, unraveling is a spectator sport. But don't let anybody look at our unraveling. Oh, we don't want that. And we need to be a church that is not afraid to let our unraveling be out front because we know we're gonna be loved in the midst of that unraveling, that we know we're not going to be judged in the midst of that unraveling. I spent a lot of years hiding in shame and guilt with some of the things I've shared with you today. So I didn't want anybody to know that I was actually dysfunctional. Folks, if we cannot be that way in the church, where can we be? Where can we do it at? I'm just serious. If we can't, if we can't be unraveled in front of our brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus, if we can't be unraveled in front of one another, then there's really no place we can do it. Oh, oh, we can, oh, we can go on Oprah. You ever wonder sometimes when you watching, sometimes you watch television, secular TV, and like people, they, they may have it right and we don't? Jesus playing in the sand, drawing in the sand when they were about to stone Mary Magdalene. 
He just said a simple question. For anybody that hasn't done something wrong, throw the first rock. Please, be my guest. Very casual. Everybody drops their stones and walk away. She was a prostitute. Sometimes we have problems engaging people that are homeless. People that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't sound like us. Are we Christians? What's that hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love? When we are unraveling, we should be in a place where that unraveling does not have to happen in secret, that we have trust in our brothers and sisters that I can unravel in front of you. I want to share my unraveling with you. As I close, in the midst of our unraveling, God is really, really good because he gives us words that we can cling on to. Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12. And this is after you've unraveled or you're in the midst of your unraveling. This is what God is saying to you and to me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for your evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then, will call upon me, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. See, even in the midst of our, God already knows, God's got you. He's got you. For I know the plans I have for you. We don't know nothing. So let's, let's, let's get that straight right now. We know nothing. And then the coup de grace. Romans 8, 28. I'm sure we all know this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the unraveled. All things, not just some things, all things. So whatever you got in your past and you're still hanging on to it, you still feel guilt about it, all things. If you're in the middle of unraveling right now, know all things. Whatever is going on in your life, your family's life, you're praying for a loved one. They're struggling. You've got a sibling that's out there. You've got broken relationships, unforgiveness, all things work together. And my friends, I'll leave you with this. Again, God is in control. We say that all the time. It's like when people say, how you doing? I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Life's unraveling. And then we say, you know, God is in control. I stand here today because God is in control. During that time in my life, 
There was even a time where I, I thought I didn't even want to be here anymore. When I had lost everything, I was like, people would be better off without me. I can stop hurting people. Put myself out of my misery. God's like, eh, eh, nope, nope, you're not, you can't call that shot. I'm in control. After all that, on Father's Day this year, I had all six of my kids together for the first time in seven years. Grandchildren running around. A wife who loves me unconditionally. The unraveling is hard when you're in the middle of it. But you just have to trust God. That he will take all this and eventually it'll look like this again. I know that's what he wants for all of us. We need to let him get out of the way and let him put you back together. Admit your brokenness, admit your unraveling, and then let God put your unraveledness back on that spool.